Welcome to the 127th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Tony Schultz and Kat Becker own and operate Stony Acres Farm in north-central Wisconsin. Schultz is a third-generation family farmer, and he and Becker bought Stony Acres from his parents in 2006. They're in their seventh season as a community-supported agriculture vegetable operation, serving 200 members in the Wausau, Wisconsin area. Community-supported agriculture, also called CSA, is a model where farmers sell shares in their operation before the growing season. In return, the farmers deliver food, usually fresh produce, throughout the summer and into the fall. Besides their CSA, Schultz and Becker sell pasture-raised beef, pork, and chicken to local consumers, and in 2012, they started a brick-oven pizza enterprise. Schultz and Becker are Land Stewardship Project members and outspoken proponents of a family farm model of agriculture that is environmentally sustainable, as well as socially and economically just. They see such a system not only as a key tool for producing healthy food long into the future, but as a critical ingredient in a recipe for vibrant communities. The young Schultz recently gave a rousing, upbeat keynote talk at the Midwest CSA Conference in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. This event was sponsored by the Wisconsin Farmers Union and co-sponsored by LSP, among other groups. It was the first time in several years Midwestern CSA farmers had gotten together in a formal setting to discuss how far this unique model of agriculture has come in the past two decades or so and where it's headed in the future. In his keynote, Schultz talked about the role CSA farming can play in creating a positive future for communities, local as well as global, by creating a special relationship between farmers and eaters. He also discussed the future of the movement and ways we can help make it even more widespread. I am going to give a little pep talk and talk about some ideas of where we can take CSA as a movement. I just want to say how I have so much admiration for so many people that are in the audience right now that we take a lot of our inspiration from for having our farm. Two years ago when I wrote the first newsletter for our season, I wrote the history of CSA for our members. And who do I call? Dan Gunther, who has been doing this since 1991. I think the CSA movement in the Midwest would have a godfather. Dan would be like the godfather of Midwest (laughs) CSA. (laughs) Moses Organic Farmers of the Year, the Fisher Merits up at Food Farm are here. Very cool place. Uh, I was, when you did your presentation at Moses that year, I was like crying and overjoyed and just beside myself. I was so happy. I'm so happy you're here. Barb and Dave Perkins from Vermont Valley are here tonight. Barb, there you are. My partner, Kat, when she was at grad school, I was, I had just graduated with an education degree from Madison. Kat worked at Vermont Valley, and to this day, it is probably the single most important experience that we could have brought back to our own farming operation. At least once a week, Kat will say, on Vermont Valley, they did this, and the problem is solved. On our farm. In fact, Barb and Dave have done far more to settle disputes than the internet ever could. The internet is normally a problem because when I go on it, I just want to buy a tractor. Who else is there? Mike from Crossroads Community Farm, Mike and Cassie, fair share, fellow fair share members. He was in uh, FH King, Students for Sustainable Agriculture, with us, and I view Mike and Cassie as these great peers 
that we have, have been inspired by this same movement at the same time and have shared similar struggles and hopes and talked to each other a lot about it. And knowing that they're doing this work at the same time and so many other young people have been inspired by CSA and have been, have been brought into sustainable agriculture because of CSA and that they're, they're raising a, a family on the farm, it lets me know that CSA is a powerful means for people who want to change the way the land is used, change the way people eat, change the world. And many of us have come to CSA because we wanted a change in the direction of agriculture and the rural landscape and the way food is produced. To quote the venerable Wendell Berry from his 1986 essay, Defense of the Family Farm, here we come to the heart of the matter. The absolute divorce that the industrial economy has achieved between itself and all ideals and standards outside itself. I was going to call the speech actually channeling Wendell Berry, but I, I didn't think it was quite curmudgeon -y enough. I don't think Wendell Berry knows what self-depreciating humor is. I actually hadn't read Wendell Berry until about three... A good Wendell Berry. I, I thought this was a Wendell Berry crowd. I, had, I hadn't read Wendell Berry until about three years ago, and I realized he stole all my ideas. <laughs> but like Mr. Berry, who I, I read often and look to for inspiration, like he says, we needed to create a space that confronts industrial agriculture, not because we're explicitly oppositional, but because CSA is more in tune with the needs of humanity and the planet. And we know that externalities of an industrial system are just as essential, essential as anything not externalized by that industrial system. And CSA, by its very nature, is, to me, the cure for the ills of industrial agriculture. Where industrial agriculture direction is toward monoculture, CSA demands diversity. Where industrial agriculture has limited the land to an increasingly smaller number of people, CSA has preserved family farms like mine and provided opportunity for people outside of agriculture to come back to the land. Where industrial agriculture has sold an increasingly anonymous commodity to an increasingly distant market, we have produced the healthiest and most accountable food for our communities while enhancing those communities with our very presence. I just want to expand on these three virtues of CSA to boost our collective ego. <laughs> diversity, diversity, the first virtue, is fundamental to community-supported agriculture for three reasons. A bounty, ecological sustainability, and healthy diets. Diversity of what we grow for the bounty of our boxes is obvious. It's a necessity, really. It's our weekly goal to have many different items in each box, growing multiple types of annuals, perennials, multiple varieties of each thing to get us toward that goal of a bounty for people who eat from our farm. The diversity of that bountiful box then plays into a diverse organic ecosystem that is more resilient, multiple species, long rotations, resilience toward pests, helping break up weed cycles, help maintain soil health. If a crop should fail, We've got two or three other things to take its place and keep boxes bountiful. And then the third aspect of diversity, foods in the box are excellent for diets of eaters as well. While receiving a set amount of foods each week may seem like a disadvantage of CSA, many of my members say it's like uh, my weekly Christmas box. They love the surprise and the changing seasonal makeup of the boxes.
And the variety of seasonal bounty forces many out of their dietary ruts, providing the body what it craves, but it's denied out of habit. While industrial food system has made our diets less diverse and increasingly processed, CSA is putting radicchio and celeriac and lovage into your stir-fries. I just want to take a moment to share the lovage, and people shout out, what are some things that you put in? That was going to be my T-shirt for this year, share the lovage, but not enough of my members knew what lovage is, so I'm, I've got, I'm still working on that. What are some things that people, I just want to know, so quick, some quick shout-outs, what are some things that people have put in their boxes that... Uh, were different and got a, maybe got a, a couple member calls like what do I what do I do with this? But what are some interesting things that people have put in? Any quick shout outs? Purslane. Dandelions. Nettles. Stinging nettles? Okay. Interesting. Fun. That was gonna go in my April Fool's box. But no, I, I love nettle soup. I love nettle soup. Uh, what else? Garlic mustard? Okay, so Kat and I, in 2008, it was a cold spring. I don't know if you remember, especially in our neck of the woods. We're almost in zone three up there. And we were like, oh, no, this first box. Is the first box going to be okay? And so we went to this book by Sam Thayer. It's called Forager's Harvest. <laughs> Forager's Harvest. Like, we can, we can, what can we do to bulk up the first box that we can forage? And we, we had already put ramps in. And ramps were on time. And it was like June 7th. We were eating ramps out of the woods. But that's what, what kind of season it was. But he had a suggestion. He ate basswood leaves. And the basswood leaves are starting to bloom at this time. Have you ever had a basswood leaf? It's like a very tasteless piece of lettuce. <laughs> it's a basswood leaf. But we, we tried it. We had a couple salads with it the days leading up to our first box. And we went and put a bunch of boxes in. And we got our half pound of salad mixed up to a pound by mixing in basswood leaves. And we wrote in, we wrote in our newsletter. We said... In your box, basswood leaves. We call this a forager's delight. A forager's delight. It's like afternoon delight, except you're eating basswood leaves. <laughs> so that gives you a sense of diversity. Diversity, a very important virtue of CSA. Now, CSA, another virtue, is the opportunity that it's provided. It's been one of the driving forces, I think, in the genuine agrarian renewal. Since 1906, we have lost farms in the United States primarily due to market concentration by fewer and fewer agribusiness firms and the technological ch uh, change that serves that market concentration. I want to make that important distinction, technological change that serves that market concentration. Because I've discussed the decline of the family farm with many people many times, and a lot of people say to me, well, the family farm's in decline because of the 24-row corn plant. Well... A 24-row corn planter is a form of technology created to serve an increasingly concentrated market. And seed companies that control 90% the GMO seeds that go into those 24-row corn planters. It's not a form of technology, I don't think, that is designed to make the best and most sustainable agricultural system. A technology created to reduce toil and maximize safety and happiness, but also create democratic food security and food sovereignty. This is why I really like the term appropriate technology. Now, normally when people use the word appropriate around me, I resent it a little bit, and I think they're being a party pooper. But I really like the term appropriate technology. And so this is what I see driving down this number for the entire 20th century. However, two years ago, the USDA 
and the Census of Agriculture has said that we've actually had an increase in the number of farms. We've had an increase in the number of farms. And I don't, I don't think this is because we bottomed out. I live in a neighborhood where there's still a lot of small family dairies. There's capos around us, but we still have small family dairies. We, the no, reason for this increase is because of CSA and the local and organic food movements, because of us. CSA has allowed thousands to ease into farming, to have a living on a small, relatively small base of acreage, to capture all of the value of a higher value crop, to grow their market as they grow their farm and their skills, to escape the trap that so many farmers face of cyclical debt by receiving upfront credit, and to have a witnessed community that can provide backing and support, encouragement, understanding, and maybe some forgiveness at times. It's allowed the romantic idea of the family farm for many to become a reality. This is why I love CSA so much. By allowing more people to come to the land, to have more people producing food directly for their community, CSA has made the agricultural system more sustainable, more secure, more democratic, more open to more people. And the last of these three fundamental virtues, diversity and opportunity, the last is community. Community-supported agriculture is a powerful name for a business model, but it was never meant merely to be simply a business model. CSAs were meant to be part of a broader movement to participate in a deeper economy, to build and strengthen community around local food and to change the agricultural system by emphasizing democracy and sustainability. Now, of course, CSAs create community the same way that any small business would. To begin with, the local purchase is the reason that I'm in the Athens community, that people are in that community. Shopping locally creates a concrete connection between real people whether it's a florist, a butcher, or a farmer. Locally owned businesses make more of their purchases locally, give more locally in dollars and volunteerism. In his book, Deep Economy, Bill McKibben, the environmental activist, says, we learn once again what skills and gifts our neighbors possess. They become valuable to us once again, literally valuable, people we can depend on for some of our food, our fuel, our capital, our entertainment. And for us, this has meant finding neighbors with boards and finding CSA members who work at print shops, graphic designers, tutors, accountants, consultants, internet service providers, oil distributors, auto mechanics, hardware store owners, babysitters, musicians, wedding planners, insurance agents, and on and on and on. Those are just people I rattled off in my head that I know that are a part of my CSA. It's not just about a local social network to me. It's about being invested in the same community and consciously supporting each other to improve it. You go from being a mere consumer or producer to being a participant, expanding your sense of who is in your community and how that all fits together. The geography of where you live becomes something much more real. Now, of course, with community and CSA, there are limitations. When I was in college, I read a series of articles on agriculture, and one was by uh, a woman from... Michigan State, Laura DeLind, she wrote a piece on CSA called Considerably More Than Vegetables, Considerably Less Than Community. And she argued that the community in community-supported agriculture exists more as a metaphor than a fact. DeLind said that because CSAs are most often small businesses first, quote, however dedicated the farmer may be to ecological practices and social responsibility, making a comfortable and dependable living 
is an equally critical concern. At times, there is a tension between meeting our own individual goals and best serving community, diversity, and our other broader goals. These hard managerial decisions can also lead to paradoxical behavior. She said, a farmer put his CSA up for sale and asked, can a community in any traditional sense ever be sold? Trade magazines are telling farmers how to price community. Well, despite these tensions, it seems that CSAs must have community at their core. If we look around our local area, CSAs that have done more to deliver more than nice boxes. We are not a weekly box service. We don't think of ourselves. Those that, who best create and sustain real relationships foster community consciously and actively enabling families and individuals to change their own food cultures toward a seasonal diet are the CSAs that do best. Individually, we feel like as time goes on, our own CSA has in many ways transcended a mere market relationship. From year to year, we know more people and have a deeper connection with them. The key variables are time and a commitment to place. Families struggle financially. We help them because we know them. Half of our, our fair share effort, I think, is based upon getting food to people who wouldn't otherwise have it. On our CSA, we've had worker shares who will work do a worker share to provide that share for other people in our community who cannot afford it or who could not have time to do it. Local churches and local organizations schedule their own calendars around our barn dance. And all of these examples are something that are not unique to ourself. If we, I use Delin's own definition that a community is a place, a set of activities and effective or embedded relationships upon which a shared sense of purpose can emerge, and I feel like that is exactly what CSA does. And when it fails to do so, CSA as a business will also more likely fail. These are our great strengths. Community, opportunity, and diversity. Community is an incredible strength. And mobilizing this community is a key to achieving our collective goals, both for CSA and beyond CSA. And we need to think more broadly about what the CSA movement can do for food culture in the U.S., and for our neighbors who are still struggling in ongoing farm crisis. There are three things, things I think that our movement can do. One, ex first of all, expand CSA for eaters and farmers, which we are working on. Two, use the CSA model as a starting point for more comprehensive transformation of local food systems and culture. And three, mobilize ourselves in our community to reform the policies that ultimately shape what makes it to the table and who puts it there. We need to keep getting our hands dirty. We need to help others get their hands dirty and grow good food, but not forget of the larger social structures that have a powerful influence over what we do. Now, our nearest-term goal, bringing CSAs to every community that wants one and is able to support one. I think there's lots of room. Near where I live, Marshfield, Wisconsin, about a half, an, half an hour south, a town of 30,000 people, Marshfield, home of the Marshfield Clinic, doesn't really have an established CSA yet. This, this town is dying for a CSA. Wisconsin Rapids is right next door. It's almost the same size. It's just getting a CSA the first time. I think it could support at least three CSAs my size just based on how we, most of us, advertise and market our CSAs to people locally through our, our own social network. We serve primarily WASA, and we turn away dozens of people without trying. There's lots of room, 
I think in all kinds of places around our state and throughout the Midwest and the United States, and John Peck was telling me that Brazil doesn't have a CSA movement yet at all. And so there's lots of room internationally. We have to nurture and support young farmers and potential farmers through these great organizations that have helped bring this conference together and the own learning, our own learning opportunities that we provide on our farms. And, but I think there are still limitations. To what end? How, how, how comprehensive could CSA be within the population? Kat and I were talking, we thought, well, we just through this number, what if 20% of households had a CSA? Well, I think we're nowhere near that. I think that would be a great number, personally, but it, a big goal. But that's still, you know, 80% of the population, a lot of food culture to change. So how else now can we extend local food, the influence of local food? I think we're starting to do it with the other things that a lot of CSAs are inspiring. Local farm-to-table operations, differentiated farmstead cheese, restaurants that have taken on credit, like Claire's and Hardwick, Vermont. I just read The Town That Food Saved. This is an example. It's used, a lot of things are using the CSA model as a sort of a microcredit operation to get their microfood operations off the ground. And we are an inspiration to that, not only because of the model, because we're doing it locally and they see it. Local breweries, farmstead cheese, direct marketing, which uh, takes stake in its community and nurture. There's all examples that we have been an inspiration to. But we need to think about how we can reach for this goal more actively. And we need to be vocal locally about what's going on, about ideas we see. Maybe in our neck of the woods, we're uh, talking about a local grass-fed butter factory or cheese incubator, small-scale vegetable processing facility that is locally and cooperatively owned. And we need to speak up about models that go beyond the sort of smokestack chasing and attracting the latest polluting industry that treat our rural areas like a resource suck and a waste dump, because we have a better model. We have a better model that we can put together, that we can demonstrate. And our model is also essential in a dialogue around food and farm policy, especially at this historical moment. I don't know if you saw that the Farm Bill was kind of limped along. It was extended briefly. But it was recognized by a lot of people that this is like a failure. And it's a failure for us because so many programs that we participate in around the edges, maybe like the, the Know Your Farmer program, the Farmer's Market Promotion program, these things were cut out of that temporary extension. Hopefully they come back. Maybe there'll be some appropriation money for it. But it kind of failed, and it's failing because of what I think is the waning influence of traditional farm state politics. And I've seen this. I've attended a lot of sort of umbrella egg events in our local area, Marathon County and in other parts of the state, where it's mostly agribusiness people and conventional egg people. And I introduce myself and uh, they say, I explain what I do and their eyes kind of glaze over and they keep on talking. They don't, they don't quite get it. And they keep on talking, but they talk and they don't know what I do and they reveal a lot. <laughs> and something I've noticed is that they're scared. They're, they're scared. And I think part of that fear comes from a tactic in agribusiness politics where if something is threatening an agribusiness corporation, they have a, a, a tactic called get those farmers mad as hell. Well, they're going to ban a pesticide. Well, hey, farmers, you won't be able to grow corn anymore. You know, they want to label GMOs. The price of food is going to go up. You better get these farmers mad as hell. And I think farmers eat a lot of that up because they see it. There's not a lot of other messages that they're getting in conventional egg. 
But I also think they're scared because their models are alienating and putting them at odds with more and more people as they become a smaller and smaller portion of the population. And I think two things when I hear them say, oh, it's those environmentalists, or oh, it's those animal rights activists they are doing this. In one sense, I'm horrified because it's translated into horrible policy. But in another sense, I feel like this is an incredible source of our own power. And to me... Those city people who have never seen a cow before or uh, those city people who don't know what shit smells like anymore, you know, that's what people say at these farm meetings. These are our allies in uh, the rising power of the food movement, which is where we should continue to embrace and articulate policy positions. This is a group where CSA and our types of farms can lead a new populism that fights for democratic policies beneficial for all eaters, with farmers as a key part of it. Here's a quick list of things that I daydream about, but they're right at our fingertips if we are effectively mobilized and continue to embrace this emerging coalition. First of all, little things. I'm going to get more ambitious as I go. Significantly enhancing money for granting programs, like in Wisconsin we have something called Buy Fresh, Buy Wisconsin that will help with small-scale local marketing startups have been incredibly successful in terms of their return to the state. Tax, here's one I thought that would be a great one. Tax credits for businesses with wellness departments that offer rebates for joining CSAs. So expanding on sort of the HMO model by incentivizing it through tax credits for any rebate program. Enhancing state money for organic and grazing research. Raw milk in Wisconsin. I, don't, I can't drive to Minnesota to get my raw milk yet. Um, but I think raw milk in the sense that it could provide for a renaissance of the local creamery as part of this local food microenterprise system. Enhancing incentives for rural uh, wind and solar, especially things like the Community Wind Project I see in Lafarge, Wisconsin. Rural broadband, moratoriums on capital expansion. Medicare for family farmers and small businesses, I call it mom-and-pop Medicare, on the way to Medicare for all. And really, placing programs that have been so beneficial to us, like the Know Your Farmer program, GLCI, the Conservation Stewardship Program, at the center of farm policy, not at the periphery. These are policies that I daydream about but are within our reach if we're the rural leadership for a large, large united front of allies, a large front meaning people who eat, if we can mobilize with them. These specific goals materialize a much broader, though, collective goal, which is to enhance humanity's natural relationship with the earth in itself. And, when we, and at our table, when we talked about what attracted us to CSA, it's about these relationships. That is our big goal, enhancing humanity's natural relationship with the earth and itself. And the best way that we can do this, continue to do this right now, is to grow food and to farm. Growing food is something that is so essential, so primal, and at the base of so much human culture. This is our greatest power as individual CSA farmers and as a movement. We need to farm. We need to farm because industrial agriculture is creating and exacerbating terminal ecological crises, soil loss, dead zones, loss of biodiversity, global warming. And we need people not caught up in that system to bring the hope of sustainability to the agricultural landscape and to heal the planet. We need to farm because democracy 
is realized when the wealth of this nation and this planet is broadly accessible and broadly shared, starting with the wealth of its land and its agriculture. This land is our land, and we need lots of people on it. We need to farm because, well, there's been a lot of talk about feeding the world, the increasingly small oligopoly of agribusiness corporations who are saying that are only saying it to dominate the food system. If the world is going to be fed, it's going to take lots of farmers in every part of the world organized to grow culturally appropriate, real food for eaters in their regions and communities. We are those farmers. We are those providers. Our food security is in our food sovereignty. We need to farm because we need articulate agrarian, agrarian voices telling policymakers, senators, the public, and our neighbors what is at stake with our agricultural choices and what is at stake with our ecology and what is at stake with our food system and be able to say that we know this because we are stewards of the land. We need to farm because we need each other. We need the support of our neighbors to lend machinery to, to check on my herd when I come to the CSA conference, to help each other out, to drink local beer with, to put the culture back into agriculture with. This is the most important thing we can do. The food system needs our example and our leadership. The future is in our hands. We need each other in this movement for a democratic, just, and sustainable food system. Stewardship Project has a directory of CSA farms that serve Minnesota and western Wisconsin. You can check it out at www.landstewardshipproject.org. For more on Stony Acres Farm, see www.stonyacresfarm.net. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.